Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 107 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, I welcome author Jordan Blum onto the program. Jordan is a writer who's written for Pop Matters, Prog Magazine, What Culture, Loudwire, Ultimate Classic Rock, Metal Injection, and Oodles More. He joined me on the show to discuss his latest book, Opeth, Every Album, Every Song, which is part of the On Track series. Opeth, Every Album, Every Song will be out in the UK on February 24th and in the US on April 29th. We discussed that book, his past books on Dream Theater, Jethro Tull, his career as an English professor, getting into music writing, prog rock, and a lot more. Now here is my conversation with author Jordan Blum. Welcome to Far Beyond Metal. Thank you for finally being on. I know this has kind of been in the works for a while, considering we run in some similar circles. And uh, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, you write about metal. I also write about metal, but you do so in uh, paperback form. While I all my stuff is online. But um, one thing about you, I think, is really interesting is that you're also an English professor. Uh, mm-hmm. How is balancing the metal life with teaching people about the Oxford comma? Or actually, what what level of English are you teaching people? Is the Oxford comma way beyond them? Um, I mean, a lot of people have heard of it. A lot of them haven't. But it's just, it's mostly like entry-level college writing. So I'm an adjunct professor of English at a few places in the Philly and, and New Jersey area. Um, and I mean, I try to like combine them as much as I can. Uh, of course, I tell my students, you know, what I do outside of teaching and maybe 1% are interested or maybe one percent have like heard of any of the bands or any of the sites um but i always try to show them some of my own writing to kind of model it because i think one of my strengths and maybe one of my weaknesses as a writer depending on you know the audience is that i kind of write like an academic as much as it's about you know accessibility and pop culture i write essays as if i'm writing a college paper um but it can be difficult to balance them Uh, i try to write sometimes in between classes or if my students are doing something else like peer reviewing i'll maybe work on something as they're doing it um and it's just you know it's like it's my two biggest passions that i get to do simultaneously so it's always kind of a joy one thing that took me forever to realize and i i appreciate you approaching your classes this way because i wish somebody maybe would have said it to me that way is that the way i used to write reviews and stuff like that when i did write reviews or you know am passionate about metal i could have done on all my college papers but they were more of a chore to me so i just like had this sort of obligatory voice in them and i never really fell in love with them but i think there was one time when i got to write about metal in a collegiate sense and i was like oh shit this is cool this is what i like want to do but uh yeah so you you don't hide your like metal writing from from them do you ever get like a student come in on a monday and be like hey you gave that a nine you need to calm down (laughs) no but I'd be open to the debate about it. Um, but no, I mean, I've shown them some of the things I model. You know, you always want to practice what you preach. And it's weird for me because, like, I always want to preface it by saying I'm showing this to you not because I'm trying to show off or anything, but just so you know that I, you know, I'm doing what I've just told you to do and, and how I do it. Um, but no, I mean, sometimes people have heard of some of the, the places that I'm at that, you know, like metal injection people have heard of for both of us. And... I often like one of the topics I like to bring up in class because it's always been my philosophy, even as a student, 
that you have to have people, you know, if you're, if you have a bunch of students who by default don't want to be in a writing class because they don't see the need for it, they don't think they're going to be, you know, writers. Why do I have to know MLA and all that? And I try to convince them of why they need to just write coherent sentences to get jobs and stuff. <laughs> but I always kind of say, let's talk about stuff that actually affects you, that you have an opinion on. So one of the big things I like to talk about in all my classes is the argument of whether or not quote unquote violent entertainment makes people violent, um, including heavy music, including metal. And, you know, we talk about like the most extreme metal you can. And I show them pictures of metal bands and, and videos and lyrics and all. And I'll say, you know, does this music have a right to exist? Do you think that this is going to make people become violent if they're not already? And we get into that. So I have found some ways to kind of combine it in beyond just kind of showing what I've written, I'm just kind of taking it on a more academic sense, which they're pretty um, receptive to. And it's always interesting because a lot of people don't listen to metal. And, and for one thing, I mean, you know, you know how it is too, that people think if you write about metal, that's all you listen to. And, you know, that's not true, but it's kind of eye-opening for people who have no idea what this stuff's about because they maybe have heard that metal is a certain way or that the metal community is a certain way. And clearly it's not. So like the greatest goal, I think, is to get them to learn to be better writers and readers and thinkers, but also to kind of open their eyes to the world around them, however I can. And I find it it's easy to do with with what I write about. And not to spoil your classes for potential students, but you also <laughs> then prove that, of course, we are an angry, violent metal people who just want to beat things up. Right. Because you and I are very bro and we want to throw things through walls and windows. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I threaten them that if they don't like certain albums, I'll fail them. It's like, look, we can like, you know, I'm going to pull a knife out in a second. If you don't agree that this is better than that. You show them a wall of death on the first day. It's part of the syllabus. Everyone just doesn't read it. Uh, <laughs> That's very true, yeah. When did you first get involved in music writing? Um, when I was a student, um, I went to Ryder University in New Jersey, where I teach now. And I'm like, so around like 2005, 2006, I started writing for the newspaper. Um. And it's interesting because I grew up on progressive music. Like I, as much as I'm into metal, I'm I'm first and foremost like a progressive rock, progressive metal guy. Um, so I remember like one of the first things I wrote for that, you know, coincidentally enough, was a review of Opeth's Ghost Reveries. Um, and I always I kind of show that to students too because it opens with one of the worst lines I've ever written. Oh, which is? Um, which was to paraphrase, it was, "Have you ever been so angry that your thought process was non-existent?" And I kind of know what I meant by that, that like, you know, the guttural vocals and, you know, all the, the death metal stuff is like, it's angry. And I kind of know what I meant, but that's a horrible sentence. Um, so wait, so the, I kind of show that to them now too. The gist is, have you ever been so angry you couldn't think straight kind of? Yeah, but even that's put better than the way I put it. And that doesn't really make, you know, that doesn't say anything about what Opeth or any metal bands trying to do. I don't know. It was just like, an opening line that I kind of demonstrate to them. Like, this is where I started and hopefully I've gotten better and, you know, everything's a process and no writing is perfect. Um, but going back to your question. Yeah. So I started at Rider Rider news. Um, and I distinctly remember like the first place I wrote for outside of that was, I guess in 2007. Um, I don't know if the website's still around, but it was a website called delusions of adequacy that was shorter to just adequacy. And I reviewed um, Cohen and Cambria's, a good Apollo volume two, No World for Tomorrow is like my first quote unquote professional review. Um, and then just branched out, branched out to like Examiner and Sea of Tranquility and 
pop matters and you know just putting my name out there to more and more places and, and seeing where I stick. Yeah, you have quite the diverse catalog. Like I I very briefly dabbled in multiple sites and then kind of I don't know, I just kind of fell out of love with the whole long form writing thing, but you're with Pop Ma- Pop Matters, Prog Magazine, What Culture, Loudwire, Ultimate Classic Rock, Consequence. I saw the Academy was listed on one. What are you doing there? Is that the Grammys? Yeah, it was the Grammys. Um I mean, it's, for the most part, it's all freelancing, so it's it's kind of like monthly I'll send pitches of like, hey, here's album anniversaries. Here's other things coming up. You know, can I write about any of this? Do you have anything you need me to write about? Um, so, yeah, like there's some places that I, I'm more permanent at, I guess I would say, like Pop Matters. I'm an editor there, so I'm always doing stuff there. You know, Metal Injection, we're part of the staff. So there's always, I'm always reviewing. It's never so much a question of, am I going to be there? But these other places, it's more of, you know, what are you looking for this month or what can I do for this month? And it may go, I may go like a few months without writing for a certain place and then hopefully come back at some point. Um, and I'm kind of, it's interesting because for the last few years, especially I've kind of had this cognitive dissonance of like, should I keep trying to spread myself to more places or should I just kind of do more for, for the places I'm already at and kind of embed myself further into that. And I still haven't come up with an answer, um, which is, you know, it's a blessing and a curse to, to think that way. Um, one thing I, I really like kind of admire about you and I alluded to it a second ago is that I sort of fell out of love with the long form writing style. Like I, I stopped doing reviews a bunch of years ago. Actually, my last one was Steven Wilson, which that fucking album that came out after hand cannot erase, whichever one that is. Oh, uh, to the bone. Yes. I did to the bone for metal injection. And I just like couldn't put into words like how i felt about the album anymore and i just like felt like it was bad and i've gotten to this point when i'm writing when like if i have to go more than a blurb like i do in the weekly injection i sort of run out of ways in my head to say i like this beyond i like this because i like it uh and you constantly seem excited because we're in a big group chat with a bunch of other writers and you always seem excited that you want to write a review about an album or talk to this person stuff like that how have you not become jaded to writing about music or pop culture when it's just seems like a there's so much of it and b you've written so much of it already Uh, help me help me (laughs) um well to your point like i i actually have become i think fairly jaded in terms of music sound like a lot of music that i think sounds the same and a lot of like I'm, i've been highly critical of bands that don't change their sound um and we've gotten in arguments about people like what do you expect them to do make a brand new thing and it's a whole other conversation but um i don't know it's just like i grew up with music it's always been a part of my life i think it's the greatest like form of expression and i think it's just a great way for me to to turn other people onto it to kind of spread the word. Um, and, you know, and for bands that people may not maybe haven't heard of, and for the biggest bands that probably don't need another review. I don't know. It's just I, I think I could put my own spin on it. I mean, I think I have a very specific template for how I write reviews, um, which again is a good or a bad thing. But I ha- have a style where like my intro is always very academic you set up the topic you set up who the band is you you set up some background you lead that into a thesis about the album 
second paragraph is is backstory for the album, like quotes on what the band has said, the press release, uh, you know, pros, cons, conclusion. So it's it is kind of routine for me at this point. I can almost kind of do it with my eyes closed, <laughs> but. <laughs> I don't know. I just love spreading the word of things. I love when bands push themselves further and I get a chance to to spread the word about it and hopefully, you know, let someone know that this is an album they should hear and it maybe becomes, you know, their favorite new band. And uh, the books you've written were most have, as far as I know, been about uh, prog bands. And you mentioned yeah. having more of an interest in bands that change their sound. So, of course, prog's would be the way to go. Do you remember the first prog band you heard in like, I, I mean, was it Pink Floyd? It's usually Pink Floyd. Um, I I don't remember the exact one. I remember, I I remember being in you know my parents' basement and and hanging out with my dad a lot. My dad deserves credit for everything that I do with music, um, and you know listening to like the Beatles and and all sorts of things. And I distinctly remember he put on um, three albums. I would say uh, Jethro Tull's Thick as a Brick. Genesis is Foxtrot and King Crimson's in the Court of the uh, Crimson King. And again, I'm like 12 or 13 and it just like blew my mind. And there was a time I remember being a freshman in high school and listening to those gen like early Genesis and, and Jethro Tull albums daily, like Thick as a Brick, a passion play, like every day I would listen to them. I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and from there, it just, it just took off. Uh, I'm sure Pink Floyd was around there in some. I, I do remember hearing Dark Side of the Moon around that time, but I don't think they had as big of an impact on me as those other three bands and bands like General Giant and Yes. Yeah, you went deeper right away than me and my friends in high school. We were just like Pink Floyd, and then like the divide sort of happened when I got into heavier stuff, and everyone else went more classic rock. Uh, Jethro Tull yeah. seemed like to be a, a very important one from the jump. And that was, you know, one of, that was the first of these books. You've done the three, right? Opeth, Dream Theater, and Jethro Tull, the mm -hmm. on track. So you start with yeah. Jethro Tull, which makes a lot of sense. Um, was that sort of uh, a daunting task to present yourself with or be presented with? Because they've got 50 years of stuff behind them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, almost going on 55. Yeah. Like, yeah. Almost around 55. Yeah. It's it's the most daunting aspect, I think. Um, and I'm sure like other writers, you could relate to this too. The most daunting aspect was having to write about albums that meant so much to me that I didn't think I could put it into words. Um, and especially the way that on track goes is because some people think it's a biography and it kind of is. I mean, it's like every album has its introduction. So you kind of write an essay for every album. And, it, you know, you talk about what the band was going through at the time and how it connects and all. But the main focus of those of those books, as the title suggests, is like a track by track breakdown of every album. So, you know, there's certain things you can you can pull apart with with, you know, the biggest songs like Aqualong is, you know, like a three part song and you touch each part. And, you know, to me, it's easy to conceptualize. But when I got to albums like Thick as a Brick and a Passion Play, which are basically 40 minute songs, you know, they're broken up into size, there's an intermission or whatever, but they're basically one gigantic song that to me is just like the greatest stuff I've ever heard. So how do I even start to put that into words? It's kind of like that famous quote that I think 
I don't know if he said it, but it's attributed to Frank Zappa a lot, which is that talk or like talking about music is like writing about or is like dancing about architect uh, architecture. Yeah, something like that. I think it is Zappa. Yeah, it's like how do I break down a passion play into words and paragraphs and and you know put this geniusness into into words? I don't. It, it was daunting. Um. So yeah, I mean. And oddly enough, like the Opeth one, which is yeah, is the, is the newest one, was the hardest one for me to do. I don't know why; it just took me the longest. Um, but I think like one aspect of it that's not super daunting, and you do get better at this as you continue to write, is the fan like worrying about the fan reception. There have been a lot of positive reviews. There's been a lot of negative. I don't want to say reviews, but like comments on Amazon about like how I didn't do a good job and that stuff's easy to just ignore as like every professional writer does. It's like, eh, whatever, you know, do a better job yourself if you think you can. <laughs> so it's always kind of in intimidating. Like, how do I do, how do I do justice to the band and to the fans? And do I, you know, do a good job of capturing what I feel and what they feel? Knowing your, your prog lean, I feel like, uh, you might be more forgiving of the latter catalog of Opeth, but I imagine Opeth fans, mm -hmm. they'll hate on Opeth whether you write about them or not because so much is different and then there's so many ideas of what Opeth is and everyone has their idea. Could that have been why yeah. this one was so difficult because there's just so many parts to this? Beast I think Opeth? so. Okay. I think for the three bands, they've, ch they've changed the most. Um, and so, for example, like, even with Jethro Tull, there's been albums that I've kind of like shit on. And that's another part of it is like, you can't be afraid of being negative. You have to be professional. You have to like sound like, you know, what you're talking about. But I think a lot of writers in general, and maybe this is kind of going a bit off topic, but I think a lot of writers in general are afraid to be honest because they want to be friends with the band or they want to get their quotes on the press releases. And I've always tried to avoid that and not like kiss anyone's ass and kind of say like, look, I may know you personally, but here's what I think of your latest album or whatever. Um, and I do think, yeah, like out of, out of the three, or at least between Opeth and Dream Theater, I think Opeth fans are more polarized or polarizing. So that was part of it was like, you know, there, there's so much change in their music. And I know, especially, yeah, like towards the end, my opinions may differ a lot from the majority of fans. So it did put a little bit more pressure, I think, for me to be comfortable writing about it and to kind of say, like, here's my thoughts. I'll put it out there. If people agree, great. If not, oh, well. Um, but honestly, another part that kind of encouraged me kind of indirectly was just knowing that Michael Ackerfeld does not give a shit what people think of Opeth. And I respect the hell out of him for that. And that's kind of been my approach to even like at the end of the book where I have to put my top Opeth songs and I have to rank the albums. I kind of in a nice way say, here's what I think. Doesn't have to be what you think. If you don't like it, oh, well, you know, let me know what you think. So if it's kind of like if Ackerfeld doesn't care about the negative responses, if Ackerfeld just says, here's what I want to do next and, you know, love it or leave it, I can do the same thing. And when you're writing these books, or, and especially, specifically the Opeth one, have you had any interaction with any of the folks who are on them, whether they present or past members of Opeth? Um, no, I've never, for any of these books, I really haven't. I mean, with the, like the Dream Theater, I sent it to uh, a couple members. But no, I haven't done any like direct um, interviews with anybody or spoken to anybody in the band. It's all just been 
kind of a mixture of research and my own analysis, my own knowledge. Um, and are you a little pissed that, cause you sent me the intro to the book, which thank you to uh, give me something to look over sure, and read. Yeah. Um, are you a little mad that the intro is already out of date because they have a new drummer or they don't have a drummer? Yeah. I mean, that's always going to happen. Like Jethro Tull has the new album out. Dream Theater has the new album that I didn't get to conclude. So it's just how it goes. And that's what's kind of difficult about doing any kind of book like this, unless unless it's a band that is done. Um, it's always kind of a work in progress and it's always going to change. So it is. it was a little frustrating or, or at least like kind of almost amusing of like, oh, of course, as soon as I like turn this in and we're in between me turning it in and it's getting published, there's there's some new development. I mean, there's also like a new version of Blackwater Park that came out that I didn't, I think I did actually, if, I think I did get to kind of comment on it, but not as much as I would have if it come out before I finished the book. Wait. So I think it just comes with the territory that like, oh, there's a new development. If there's a second edition of any of these books, I'm sure, you know, we'll get into all that. There's a new version of Blackwater Park. I didn't know this. I knew there may have been like a vinyl repress, but did they mix it up or something? I don't know if they changed the mix. I think they... I know there's new like artwork. There's I think new liner notes. Okay. There's some like new, you know, release for Blackwater Park for its anniversary. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I guess I better fit that in there. And that I mean that was frustrating because by that point, I forget what album I was working on in the book, but I was like way beyond Blackwater Park. I was like, all right, I finished that chapter. I'm all the way up here. I don't want to go back and worry about talking about this and using the same language. Um, because like one of the things that takes me a long time to write this stuff is that I am kind of obsessed with not repeating words. So literally like half of, of my time spent writing anything is me hitting control F to see the last time I said a word. And, and, you know, is this sentence clear enough? So as soon as Blackwater Park got that announcement, I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to spend another hour, you know, working on this to make it perfect. But generally, I think I just accept that it comes with the territory. Like at this point, when this was finished, here's everything that had come out and whatever comes out after that. Obviously, you know, I can't talk about. When you're writing these books, are you writing them the same way that they are presented? Like, are you going in order just as the book goes in order? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Front to back, chronologically. Mm -hmm. And has that, I mean, I imagine with like Dream Theater or, Op well, Opeth more than Dream Theater, you're able to see the progress of their sound, like, and when you have to analyze it so heavily. Um, did you walk away with any new appreciation for certain songs or albums, or did you actually like wind up not liking something as much that you liked going in? Um, I think with the early stuff, because as I've said, like I'm, I'm more of a progressive person than a kind of a more straight ahead metal person. So obviously, like, I think the first two Opeth albums are the weakest ones, um, just kind of almost by default. But I did, in, in analyzing them, I think I appreciated the jazzy elements of, like, the bass playing, especially, um, and just how much of it foreshadowed where they would go with, you know, My Arms Rehearse and how they perfect that with Still Life and et, et cetera. So I definitely appreciated how much of their DNA from the quote-unquote classic stuff was already there with the first album. And also how the first album especially, you know, has uh, Silhouette, has Requiem, and has some things that, at least with Silhouette, which is the piano piece, that they never really did again. So even that first album is kind of, 
unique as much as it's kind of like a prototype for what they would do. Um, and with the later stuff, that's more, even more divisive, I think, since he stopped doing the death vocals and all. I think I appreciated the two weaker albums from the, from the new era more, which was um, Sorceress and especially Heritage. I appreciated them more analyzing them than I used to, even though they're still not, you know, at the top of my list necessarily. As a more prog person than metal person, are you more keen on the later era, the post-Watershed stuff? Um, well, with, like, I really like the last one. And what was really difficult about this, and, and another difference from the other two books, was where I was like, with the previous two books, I know exactly what my top picks were in terms of albums. Um, this one, it was a four-way tie for me. It's always been a four-way tie for... Um, with uh, Still Life, Cal Communion, Damnation, and Ghost Reveries. And I guess you could say like two, two of them are tied together because they're clean vocals. Two of them are progressive death metal. But I see them as like four distinct kinds of music. So it was really difficult kind of figuring out which of those I would rank at the top. And I mean, it's kind of like it's hard to compare some of these albums more so than it is more more so than it was with the other two because i don't think those bands have changed as much from start to finish right um you've got this book he's about to come out of course we've got uh late february for the uk april for everywhere else are you already thinking about the next one um yeah i have to kind of talk to the publisher and see what to do next and i'm thinking about another book project with another publisher that I may want to try to go back to. It depends on if the band's interested and if the management's interested. Oh yeah, um, I'd even consider that part. Like, so are you in with management and whatnot on these books when you're putting them together? I imagine the publisher has to do something, right? I don't know how this part um, works. Yeah, honestly, I'm not really sure either because as far as I know, you don't need... Like, I've I've spoken to Andy Farrow when the Opeth book was announced just kind of him asking, like, what is this book? You know, because you also have, like, the, the official book of Opeth that came out recently. Right. Um, or that was updated, at least recently, and this is different. But f- from my end, it's just kind of like I get the, the assignment to do it, and I talk to the publisher about how it's going. I don't know what he does in terms of talking to their management, but as far as I know, you don't need, like, official permission to write about music or to write about a band. So I'm not really sure how that works on the business end. I just kind of say, all right, well, you told me I could write this book. Here's how I'm doing it. And however, like the management and however the band feels about it, that's between like the publisher and and them, I, I kind of think. And I know the on track series, it's a series of these things that they're doing and they do the track by track thing. Um, are you familiar with the 33 and a third books? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever had the urge to go John Darnielle like the way he did Master of Reality for those books? Have you read that? No, I haven't. I mean, I'm familiar with the series, but I haven't read any of the books in particular. So John Darnielle was tasked to do a recap of Master of Reality by Black Sabbath. He mm-hmm. instead did a narrative about like an angsty kid listening to the album and relating it to his entire life. And he like touches on aspects of the production and what he thinks the process is but mostly it's through the lens of like a pissed off kid and i think it would be fun to do some sort of take on that but i imagine that would not get published probably not yeah that would take in like a more creative writing kind of like almost meta narrative sense 
is that something you do are you a creative writer as well are you strictly like kind of pop culture and reality um i'm creative writer too my i have a my master's is in fiction and i run a um creative arts journal oh my god since for 10 years now coming up in july um called the bookends review which is named after a paul simon simon and garfunkel album so i'm actually glad you asked that because that's kind of what leads into how i got to do this was that i've been writing like i write fiction and poetry i, I teach that stuff too that's my background officially is, is creative writing and i was actually looking for a publisher for um what they call a chapbook which is like a very small collection of poetry or fiction and i you know i was kind of just on the internet saying does anybody publish uh you know fiction poetry i should probably put all this stuff together and then you know before i move on to other stuff i want to get this out there and somebody suggested um steven who's sonic bonds publisher and i reached out to him and i said you know do you publish fiction or poetry i have a lot of that stuff i want to kind of put together and he said no i published these books called on track about music and he and i um, came from, among other th connections, like we came from the same magazine called Rock Society in England that isn't around anymore. So it was kind of through my creative writing and that background that I got to do these on-track books um, in the first place. Have you ever done any sort of uh, ghostwriting? Like, would you be one of the people that does with, like, you know, Tina Turner with Kurt Loder kind of thing? Like, is that a goal of yours to do? To um, I haven't really thought about it, honestly. I guess I would be open to it. I'm kind of just open to any kind of any kind of writing as long as I'm interested in the topic as long as I have the time to do it I think I have the skills to do it always always kind of wanting to branch out uh blue sky what is your uh dream book to write whether it be fiction nonfiction band oh. scene genre etc hmm that's a good question yeah I mean well probably a book on a band that not nearly enough people have heard of and it's always the band that i say there's one band that needs more attention it's this band uh it's a band called the deer hunter oh hell yes deer. yeah for like 10 years as soon as i heard i forget what my first one was maybe act three they were up to and it blew my fucking mind and still they blow my mind so i would love to do like a biography or or just like the book on the deer hunter once they have enough material to really write about and once they have like enough of a legacy. Now, that's probably the one band I want to say like everyone listen to. Is, or like another, maybe like a band called Fido or Joanna Newsom. You mentioned uh, the, the legacy and the albums. Like uh, Deer Hunter has, let me see, five, six, then the Color Spectrum. They have quite the catalog. But is the yeah. legacy that's holding them up from being an on-track um, uh, candidate? Yeah, I think so. There have been a few bands that I suggested in the past of, of just like, you know, here's all the bands I'd be willing to write about, which ones are you interested in? And a few of them were um, that they deserve it, but they don't they don't have enough albums out to really full up a book or they don't have enough like kind of years gone by to, to have enough to say, to kind of trace the trajectory. So... Yeah, I think that I think that's probably what's kind of stopping them. So we'll see where they're at, you know, maybe 10 years. Yeah, I, I'd love to read the Deer Hunter one because because I mean, I know the layers of the story and all this stuff, but I want someone else to go do a deep dive on it for me and then explain it to me like I'm well, not five, but, you know, yeah. whatever you're reading. And going back to like what we were saying before, that's another band that like it would be it would be difficult to put into coherent words and that's kind of just sound 
like a fanboy mm-hmm. right about that stuff but like the way you know like act five opens and then it you know i'm moving awake and then it, it closes by bringing back that melody it's like i would just gush and gush and gush about how brilliant these connections are between their albums and that would be difficult to kind of rein in i think and sound more like objective and professional about it so i do this thing when i because i'm a I'm a runner and I will lately have been putting on um, a band's discography and I'll run to it in order. Like I've done a bunch of my favorite bands and a few months ago I did the deer hunter. And so it's just like, gives me something to kind of zone out when I'm actually running and pay more attention to. And I went in a fan and after the week and a half or whatever it was to listen to all their stuff running like 45 minutes a day, I was like, holy shit, this band is like more brilliant than I even realized because of the reprises and all these little things that I just never noticed until I forced myself to listen to everything at the same time. And Yeah. yeah, when you're discussing the layers of the band and just how difficult it would be to write about them. Yeah. Maybe, maybe someone else. Cause Jesus, they're so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think the only band that I can think of that really does something similar to that and has kind of mainstream attention is Cohen and Cambria, yeah. even though they don't do it to the same, as far as I can tell, they don't do it to the same degree, which isn't like a pro or a con. But whenever I tell students, whenever I talk to people about like what progressive music is and how I love, like my big thing is conceptual continuity. Like even an album like Linkin Park's um, 10,000 Sons, which I will defend to my dying day is their best album. I love that album. They, you know, they bring it back at the end of it. It's a reprise. And any album that does that, like even going into like Janelle Monet or Kid Cudi in, in terms of hip hop and, and R&B and stuff, that's always like my thing. If an album is conceptual, if an album has a theme and it comes back, like I, I want to hear it. A band like that for me has been, you know, within their albums, uh, Between the Bear and Me, of course, they like yeah, have yeah. strong concepts, loose concepts. But in what was supposed to be the very first interview for Far Beyond Metal years and years ago, I interviewed Dusty and Blake outside of a oh. venue in Sacramento. And outside of a venue is very important because the place is called Ace of Spades and just behind it is a light rail station. And trains oh. kept going by the entire time and it was an unusable interview. But in that interview, yeah. I brought up um, the lyrical content that Tommy writes, and they mentioned that in Coma Ecliptic, there's a character who shows up on Alaska and some other album briefly. And I was like, wait, you guys have been doing this shit the whole time? He's like, yeah, Tommy brings people in and out. And it gave me another appreciation for them. And I cannot remember who, what the songs are or anything. It's driving me crazy. Do you know? I don't know specifically but i do know that they've been doing that because i remember when i guess it was like parallax 2 came out i remember thinking all right you know you have the ep then you have this full full length sequel and then i forget who i was talking to but somebody said like no parallax started like on alaska if not i think even maybe before that maybe that's what they were talking about so yeah i mean i think the, the master of doing that is Devin Townsend. Yeah. And don't get me started on like the genius of Devin Townsend. I can ramble on forever. But the show's called Far Beyond Metal. It's literally a strap young lad song. I we don't yeah, they, we could have a whole show. We could have a whole show about it. I remember at, like interviewing him at the Trocadero when uh Epicloud came out, I think. And that, that was one of like maybe a handful of times where I was kind of starstruck. Because I think one of like the benefits and kind of also detriments of doing what we do and this is going to sound very like pretentious i think but you do this so often that you no longer get as like starstruck because it's kind of it's kind of part of the job and you just kind of realize that these people are just people 
Um, so he was one of those people where I like, I looked up at him and I was like, holy shit, there's Devin Townsend. And we went upstairs and I said, like, do you, or I said, like, how do you determine when you're going to reprise a, a lyric or how you're going to connect albums? And I'm sure he was fucking with me, but he's like, I didn't realize I did that. And I said, no, like the end of Addicted, you know, you mentioned Deconstruct and you say, I'm all right to fly. You know, only we both know we never once were right or whatever it is that connects albums. And even Strapping Young Lad to a solo stuff, there's like melodies that come in. And anything like that, again, like I I'm instantly flock to. I actually, or band like Riverside does that too. I'm less familiar with Riverside. Them and like Spock's Beard or bands that I always have like, oh, I should check them out more. And then I just never get around uh, to yeah. it. Yeah, with Spock's Beard, I mean, it's all good. And Spock's Beard is another band that I grew up with. And then, you know, I got into this. I got to know some of them. I was, I'm really close friends with their former uh, publicist. And I would say if you if you haven't got into Spock's Beard, Snow is again it's probably like the atypical opinion, but I think Snow is easily the best album they've ever made, the best album Neil Morse has ever made. I adore Snow. All right, I'm writing down Spock's Beard Snow. If I hate this, you're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like connections with with Spock's Beard and Genesis too, in terms of like. The, the the singer leaving after the sixth album, the drummer taking over. There's a lot of parallels that if you're nerdy about this stuff, you'll notice. <laughs> I, I have to say, yes, you were nerdy about this stuff because like, oh, sixth album departure. But at the same time, I remember thinking something like this between uh, between The Buried and Me and Dream Theater. Like it was Systematic Chaos and The Great Misdirect came out around the same time. They both had six tracks and there was a bunch of other like little things like that. And I said these all to a friend of mine and they're just like, cool. Why did you notice that? But I appreciate there's more of us out there. Yeah. I mean, there's a fine line between being really passionate about it and forcing it onto others and getting into arguments about differing opinions, which I just don't see the point in any of that, but you know, if people have a passion for it and you can get into it, then, you know, it's great. Uh, I know that you also play guitar. How, are you someone who is in bands or has been in bands? No, I've never, honestly, I've never really played with other people. I've never pursued it in a serious way. Um, when I was in high school and a little bit in college, I had this project that's on SoundCloud. If anybody wants to check it out, Hell but yeah. don't judge me because the most recent thing on there is probably 10 years old. Um, but I had a project called Neglected Spoon. I don't know where the title came from. I don't know what it means, but it was just like Neglected Spoon. And it was basically just me in, in a quote unquote home studio, just recording guitar and keyboards and you'll see what I came up with. And the few people who have heard it say that it reminds them of early Mike Oldfield, like Tubular Bells, especially. And there's a little bit of like, like the, the the best thing I think I've done is is a track on there called the Influential Progressive Circus, which totally rips off Opeth in the beginning. Um, but that's definitely one of the things I want to kind of get better at and and dig into more is is being a musician and playing with other people. I just found Neglected Spoon on SoundCloud, and that'll be a post interview listen. Uh, speaking of post interview, that does bring us to the end of our chat. Is there anything else you wanted to to touch on before we uh, depart this podcast? Um, you know, just thanks for having, having me on and yeah, thanks to everybody for listening and feel free to you know find me on social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm kind of on Instagram, but not really. <laughs> yeah, um, I will... and yeah, just please, yeah. Like check out the book. Let me know what you think. If you want to discuss Opeth or dream theater, Jethro Tull or anything, just, you know, send me a message. Yeah.
Opeth, every album, every song, will be out in the UK on February 24th and in the US on April 29th in the US. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Burning Shed, and anywhere else you might find books. Pre-order it now, and you can follow Jordan on Twitter at JordanBlum87. As always, I would like you to head over to farbeyondmetalpodcast.com. There, you can find old episodes. If you're in a band, you can hit me up to be on the show and all that good stuff. Then the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Meter Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.